As we continue to examine the book of James together, we come to James chapter 3, verses 13 through the end of the chapter. 13 through 18. And I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, to turn and read along with me as I read aloud from God's Word. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we have gathered to examine your word together as part of our worship, we ask that you would teach us the lessons that you have for our hearts. We realize, Lord, as we come to your word that it is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, Lord, that you would use it in different ways in each of our lives, all for the same purpose, which is to grow in our love and obedience for you. But you might bring one part of this passage, Lord, to light in one of our hearts and another part in another of our hearts. And perhaps a comparison or a cross-reference to light in another of our hearts, Lord. We recognize that this is a fluid work that is going on here. It is not static. It does not stay in one place because we are dealing with your word, which is living and active. And we pray, Lord, that you would accomplish this dynamic work in our hearts, which is to bring about godly change and to make us holy and righteous. I pray, Lord, that my words might be faithful in keeping with your word, because your word is holy. We ask this in your name. Amen. We think of the expression, truth is what you believe it to be, or truth is what you make it. We think of that expression as a modern-day trend. People in this day and age have thrown off acceptance of absolutes and have adopted instead a polymorphous, shifting standards that are based on subjective views. What I think is what is rather than on objective truths. What I think doesn't matter. The truth is the truth regardless of my opinion, whether I like it and agree with it or not. As we see here today, trying to mold the truth into our image and to fit it into our own personal opinions is not a new thing. There has been a constant attempt to change the truth to fit personal opinions personal desires. The people to whom James wrote had the same tendencies that we have today. There is indeed, as Ecclesiastes proclaimed, nothing new under the sun. It's revived today. But it's not new. 
We see from this passage that it is our duty as believers to hold to absolutes in our quickly changing world. Just as James proclaimed the Lord's absolutes. But as we look at this passage, what are the absolutes that are up for grabs? Well, as we look at our passage, we realize, if you've been reading the New International Version as I read aloud to you, you realize that wisdom, or the expression wise, is used several times in the passage. And at least one of those times, it is put in parentheses. Because we do when we're talking to someone, and we want to speak of a word that is defined differently by different people. We say, wisdom. Whatever that means to you. And so as we look at in our passage, we see that wisdom is something that is trying to be defined in different ways by the people to whom James wrote. That was a tendency of that day. How do you define wisdom? What is wisdom? Well, it depends on who's answering the question. <coughs> but there are two vastly different wisdoms discussed here in our passage. <clears throat> and if those two different types of wisdom were adopted by the church, first one and then the other, it would have completely opposite effects upon the way in which the believers would go. <clears throat> I'm reminded of the frequent accounts we read and watch, whether in fiction or in real life, about the lives of gangsters and others involved in the underworld. Oftentimes the men are real family men. Again, those quotes, family men. <clears throat> those who are involved with the family side of their lives couldn't even imagine that they have an evil side to their lives. But then the real nature of their activities and existence surfaces and the contradiction it makes to their appearance as good family men is unable to be reconciled. In these verses, <clears throat> we are seeing James deal with an attempt by those associated with the churches to redefine godliness. What is godliness? Well, let's just give it a new definition. And if we give it a new definition, then I can fit into it without changing me. I can fit into the new definition of godliness if I just say godliness is this. Godliness is being able to stand up on your own two feet and talk at the same time. Well, we all fit in the category. That's great. They were trying to redefine godliness. That's simply put what, what was going on and what James was addressing. <clears throat> they have redefined the standards, so by their new definitions, they can proclaim themselves wise and understanding, godly and righteous people. James' message is that it just ain't so. Godliness is made up not, in, not of subjective standards. Godliness is not what you proclaim it. Godliness instead is made up of absolute standards. Wisdom and understanding will always follow certain guidelines because God is the one who has set up the standards and the definition of what wisdom and understanding are. And that is why we are able to come to God's Word today and see that it is written for today and completely and totally applicable for today, just as it was completely and totally applicable for those who read it for the first time. <coughs> what about this? <clears throat> is it any different today than it was then? No. 
we're confronted with the same contradictory messages regarding wisdom today. We know because we talk about wisdom. And we realize that when you talk about wisdom in one setting, you mean one thing. You talk about wisdom in another setting, you mean something completely different. The world's standards have modernized the terminology. But being wise today, according to the world's standards, is knowing what you want and how to go about getting it. Being wise according to the world standards today means learning how to manipulate the system to get exactly where you want to be on time. It means knowing how to maneuver and manipulate people, including family members and spouse, so that what you want is what happens. So that everyone in the household fits their schedule into your schedule. Everyone puts you first You choose the restaurant, you choose the television program, you get help with your work, but rarely help others with theirs. Everyone has the understanding that when you are happy, everyone breathes a sigh of relief. When you are unhappy and displeased, there are storm clouds about to burst. Wisdom, as defined by the world today, means learning how to do as little as possible, how to get by doing as little as possible for others, while expecting and counting on them always to be there when you're in need. Sharing your disappointment with others let you down, but never being on hand to help others when they need help in countless ways. You see, the issue of how do you define wisdom and righteousness? What is godliness? What is understanding? Is alive and well today. The contrasting wisdoms mentioned and described here continue to be well represented in our lives and indeed in everyone's life. (coughs) What then is wisdom? Look at our passage. There are two contrasting messages regarding wisdom. Is wisdom a craftiness that gets ahead by putting self first? Or is it? The other definition given in our passage, an understanding that results in, the big word here, humility, acted out in putting other people first. Which one is it? Which one is it? As we've seen, worldly wisdom is not extraordinary. As I've defined how the world defines wisdom today, We see that it's too commonplace. We see it all around us. We see the tendency in our own lives to adopt this standard of wisdom and to make it the practice of our lives instead of the other standard of wisdom which results in humility and actions which put other people first. It will always be this way in our world. That wisdom, according to the world, is commonplace because Wisdom according to the world is, as we see in verse 15, earthly, unspiritual of the devil. It's part of this world. It's defined by this world. It's no wonder it's commonplace because it's created by this world. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's created by the one who is in control of this world for a time, the devil. The wisdom of this world is revealed in attitudes of hatred toward others. It's based on self-love. It's not at all surprising that the wisdom of this world should be expressed in hatred towards others. Because when you love yourself, 
How do you see others? You see others as competition. You see others as the people who could get in your way. And if they get in your way, then you do not get what you want. And your wisdom has failed you because wisdom is knowing how to get what you want and getting it. The attitudes that are expressed in this hatred towards others are expressed in our passage. The first is bitter envy. Bitter envy. But if you harbor bitter envy, that's an expression of hatred for other people. There's a great parallel passage to that in Hebrews 12.15. And it says this, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. If we hate people who are perceived to have an edge over us, that's what envy is, right? Having a bad attitude towards someone who we perceive to have an edge over us. It doesn't have to be a real edge. They don't have to have things better than we are. All we have to have is the grass is greener on the other side of the pasture idea in our minds. And we look at them and we say, I like what they've got better than what I've got. And we say in our hearts, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. And as a result, all of a sudden, our hearts turn to envying and the bitterness creeps in. Why don't I have that? Why don't I have that? Why do they have that? I should have it. I deserve it. And the progression goes on and on. <clears throat> and the Hebrews twelve fifteen passage speaks specifically about this bitter root, bitter envy. What does it do? It grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Nothing good comes out of bitter envy. And it's it's an expression of hatred towards others and an expression of love for self. How does it happen? Well, we start feeling bad about the fact that someone has something that we want. And instead of being grateful for what we have, we decide that we deserve what they have. And we allow that attitude to dwell in our hearts. We allow it to stick around. We allow it to turn us bitter. And all of a sudden, we don't have anything good to say about anything because we have not dealt with a problem that that has arisen out of... (laughs) I'm going to try it and get it right. We have not dealt with a problem that has arisen out of love for self and similar hatred for others. What else do we see in our passage? The attitudes of hatred towards others come in selfish ambition. This means that you and I or anybody who is caught in this trap, if we are caught in this trap, will love ourselves to the point that we are not only envious of those whom we perceive to be ahead. And again, I have to speak very carefully and use the right terminology here because it, has, it doesn't have to have any basis in reality. It does not have to have any basis in reality. (laughs) I can remember myself within the last six months. Specifically, I can pinpoint a time where I realize in my mind, for some strange reason, I'm envious of someone. 
And I looked at that thing from all sides. And I talked it over with my wife. And I said, now this is the craziest thing in the world. I'm envious of this person. Why should I be envious of this person? There's no logic to it. It doesn't fit. I have no reason for being envious. This is the problem. I have got to get rid of this problem. And I was right. There was no reason for being envious. See, that's the point. Envy does not have to have any reason. It is an attitude which is wrong, not based on objectives, instead based upon subjectives, feelings, which have no basis in truth. Sometimes they do have a basis in truth, but they do not have to. Selfish ambition. We are not only envious of those we perceive to be ahead of us, but instead, it hurts us when we see other people around us succeed. Because we really are the only ones we want to see succeed. And the only way in which we want others to participate in success is if it reflects favorably on us. If it does not reflect favorably on us, then selfish ambition takes place. Like, I don't want them to succeed. It may hurt my success. And we know that attitude as well. What else about worldly wisdom? The actions that arise from such wisdom, worldly wisdom, further reveal its evil parentage. In other words, where did it come from? Verse 16, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Now what is included on the, in the actions that come forth, that spring forth from worldly wisdom? The full arsenal of Satan that he lends to humans. Here, use this in hating other people. Take a hold of bitter envy and clutch it to your heart. And let it live in your heart and let it contract your heart. Until you don't know how to get rid of it. Here, take a hold of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is a great thing to use to get ahead. Stomp on other people so that they can never catch up or get ahead of you. Now, I'm not exaggerating things here because as we look here in this passage, we read, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder, confusion, in other words, And every evil practice. When there is worldly wisdom involved in our lives or in the lives of others, then we can expect everything that Satan encourages to be possible and to happen. I was reminded of the story (coughs) that was described in the press as the pom-pom mom. Remember that? In Texas several years ago. The lady who put out a contract on the mother of <laughs> mother of her daughter's competition in cheerleading. Because she figured if her daughter's competition in cheerleading, that mother, if that girl's mother were to die or be killed or whatever, then that daughter would fall to pieces and her daughter would succeed. Now we say to ourselves, That is crazy. 
I mean, that is... But what, what do we say? Well, we say, well, that is taking it too far. <laughs> what is too far? What is far enough? Our passage says here, where are these things have taken root? The worldly wisdom has come in and we've accepted it. And there is envy and selfish ambition. Anything can happen. That can happen. Anything else evil can happen. Because people justify things by saying they are wise to fulfill their envy and their selfish ambition against other people. We can expect anything to happen. There was a time prior to the formation of Cornerstone Chapel when I found this verse 16, which again, let me read it. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. The time prior to the formation of Cornerstone Chapel, when I found this verse to be a real help because of how it explained the things that I, many of us, were experiencing. Perhaps you've been in a situation like that, where you realize all of a sudden lights go off in your mind. Maybe sometimes you're the one who is practicing the worldly wisdom and is caught in the trap of envy and selfish ambition. Maybe sometimes you're in the middle of these situations and you look around and you see, ah, something is wrong here. And then you realize that selfish ambition, bitterness, envy, that these things are motivating what's going on either in your life or the lives of others. There you have an explanation. For anything. Because anything could happen. Anything bad, that is. Because the actions that arise out of these attitudes are parented by Satan. He is the master of these things. Well, follow it back. Follow the trail back. Satan, how did he ever get where he is now? The way in which he got where he is now is because he said, Ah, I can be God. And as a matter of fact, I can do a better job than he does. And so he, he let envy take hold of his heart. When he decided he could be God, then that is when we have the initiation of evil, which we know just a small part of in our world and in our lives. <clears throat> Maybe you've experienced the... Uh, the disorder and the every evil practice that arises out of envy and selfish ambition in the workplace. Maybe you too have experienced this sort of thing in a church situation. Maybe you've experienced it in a marriage or in a family situation. Now, these things do not always have one outcome which is evil. Because what we are told in our passage is that there is a better way, there is a right way. And so if this envy and selfish ambition is something that has grasped a hold of you in a situation or circumstance, then what you need to hear and study and understand is the part of our passage that is addressing and emphasizing not worldly wisdom, but instead heavenly wisdom. <clears throat> what do we find then about heavenly wisdom? We find that heavenly wisdom comes from God and it bears His imprint. It looks like Him. Just like Christians are to look like Jesus Christ. Heavenly wisdom, it's His gift, it should look like God. How does it look like Him? Heavenly wisdom brings about humility 
in people's hearts and lives. Now, one of the first statements of faith of the early church is written in Philippians 2. And as a statement of faith, what we believe about Jesus Christ, as you read this, you will realize that humility was a prime characteristic of the life of Christ. Humility was what caused him to be obedient to his Father, to say, as he said, not my will, but thy will be done. And that with reference to the greatest sacrifice, which was his impending death and separation from the Father. And so we realize then that humility is something that bears God's imprint. Because humility comes from Him, and He is the one who has taught us what humility is all about. Humility, where heavenly wisdom exists, there will be and has to be humility. And what does humility do? Humility takes care of envy and selfish ambition. Because envy and selfish ambition are based upon me first. Humility is based upon others first, me last. Others first, me last. Before going any further, I'd like to point out the emphasis of verse 13. Notice in verse 13 that it says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The emphasis here in verse 13 is let him show it. Let him show it. Do it. Do it. And that's the message of James, isn't it? Do it. Don't just talk about it. Do it. Since this is practical, then let me get practical. As you think about godly wisdom, as you think about heavenly wisdom and the fact that it demonstrates humility, can you remember this past week having demonstrated humility in action towards someone around you? Humility in action towards someone around you. Because we see in our passage that godly wisdom is carried out in everyday, practical, everyday, simple ways. They may be small ways. In deeds performed for others which show godly wisdom because of what? Because they put the other person first. This heavenly wisdom that originates from God has certain characteristics. And we find the list here, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's verse 17. It's first of all pure. Pure means that this godly wisdom is not lacking, has no fault. It's chaste. This godly wisdom is not motivated by evil desires. It's not motivated by envy. It's peace-loving. How does this compare with worldly wisdom? You quickly find that those who adopt worldly wisdom are not peace-loving. Because a desire to relate well with other people around them is not topmost on their agenda. What is topmost on their agenda is envy and selfish ambition scrambling to the top of the pile. Now, when you're scrambling to the top of the pile, think of this in literal terms or figurative terms, whenever you're scrambling, you're kicking someone. And that is not the basis for peace between human beings. 
Godly wisdom teaches us how to seek and make peace in ways that do not compromise God's morals and standards. Oftentimes we have this contradiction in our Christian life, or it is presented as a contradiction, in which we think that when God tells us to be peace-loving, He means that we're to be passive in situations. We're not to create ripples or stir up waves. When we look at Christ, and He is the epitome of making peace and peace-loving, And yet what happened where he was? There was turmoil and tumult. And the only way in which his enemies were satisfied was when they had him hanging on the cross and they knew he was dead. And they still weren't satisfied at that point. But we find the example given us in Scripture. The peace-loving does not mean passive. It does not mean lay down and play dead. But it means having a desire in your heart to relate with other people in such a way that there is peace. Heavenly wisdom is considerate and submissive. Isn't it surprising how frequently heavenly wisdom in this passage is described as something which is allowing others to decide and allowing others to do what they want instead of saying what we want and doing what we want first? Learning to put others first is the basic to heavenly wisdom. Humility is a description of that. What else about heavenly wisdom? Heavenly wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit. Mercy and good fruit. Can you think about heavenly wisdom in your closest relationships? If you're married, in your marriage. If you have siblings, in your relationship with your brother or sister. Perhaps with your parents. Perhaps with friends or co-workers. Think about your relationship there and you realize that frequently other people wrong you. That's a fact of life. How do you handle that? If you have godly wisdom, when people wrong you, you do not take it out on them to the last pound of flesh. You do not establish relationships with people which are based on this presupposition. If you wrong me, You're going to know it because I'm going to take it out on you and it's not going to be finished until you straighten it out. When we are in relationships and we are full of heavenly wisdom, then we have mercy towards others which says, hey, this person's wronged me and I think they know it and I know it and I'm not going to stop talking to them and not talk to them for a week because that is not mercy. Mercy requires me in this situation to go to them and say, listen, you know, we got a problem here. And I wish you hadn't done this. And this is why it bothered me. But it's okay. I forgive you. It's straightened out. Heavenly wisdom does that. We think of the examples in our culture today. And we find how so frequently in the closest relationship of our world, which is the relationship of marriage... Married people are willing to stop talking to each other. They're willing to do this for a day. Many people frequently do it for days. Some people do it for weeks. Some do it for years. This is an example of earthly wisdom, not heavenly wisdom. Because heavenly wisdom says, when someone has wronged me, I am not going to wait until they straighten it out. I'm going to go to them and offer them my forgiveness. 
That's what God did to us, didn't He? He didn't wait until we straightened out the problem, which is a good thing, because we never could have. Instead, He came to us and said, Okay, folks, you've sinned. I cannot bear sin. I hate it. I will not live with sin. And you can't straighten it out. Because those are the facts, I will come and offer my life for you. And by that means then, you are able to come to me and gain forgiveness and gain that relationship that was destroyed by Adam and Eve's fall in the Garden of Eden. That is mercy. If we have heavenly wisdom in our lives, then that is the demonstration that needs to be in our hearts. Heavenly wisdom is impartial and sincere. It means that heavenly wisdom is genuine and not swayed for personal gain. It means, as I've heard several of you express situations at work, it's great when people at work come to you to decide, make a de- to, to, to decide an argument. Because I think what that demonstrates is the fact that the people have seen in your hearts that you have some wisdom, which is true wisdom, which comes from heaven. And they realize because you have this wisdom, you will be impartial and sincere in making a decision. You won't say, well, I'm closer to so-and-so, and if I decide against him, then <laughs> I'm going to be in big trouble. Because again, that's envy and selfish ambition creeping in. 